0: You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. There are two points of intersection between our readings tonight. The first and more obvious one being the call to repentance, literally to turn around and head in a new direction. That's seen in the decree of the king of Nineveh, that the whole of that city, men, women, children, even the animals, are to put on sackcloth and observe a total fast as a sign of the city's repentance. Repentance. And it's also seen in the words of John the Baptist that opened the gospel tonight. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And if you consider not just these ten verses from the book of Jonah, but rather the whole of that short biblical book, there is another strong connection to the story of the calling of the first disciples, from the gospel reading. Now, that gospel story is told by Mark, is in his typically clipped and simple style. Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He comes across the brothers, Simon and Andrew, and he says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And just like that, they do. Next, it's on to James and John. Jesus also calls them to follow, which they do. No further description of things that might enlighten the reader as to why these fishermen were so prepared to just drop everything and follow. Maybe what Mark wants to emphasize is the compelling nature of the very presence of Jesus. We can't possibly know, of course, But what the reader does know is that these four fishermen have heard a call and have dared to rise and respond to it. Contrast that to the tale of the prophet Jonah, which is told in a fast-paced style, meant to be read or heard read aloud in one sitting in the manner of a good short story. Most people think, oh, Jonah and the whale, that's the most memorable piece, and I suppose in its own way it is. But what is really striking in this story is the upside-down nature of it all, in which the purported hero, the Israelite prophet Jonah, is a bit of a grim and rather unlikable character, While the Gentile sailors are compassionate, and the despised enemy Ninevites are responsive to God's message to them, therein lies the heart of what the book is trying to convey. This is how it opens. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, And cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now this Jonah, son of Amittai, appears briefly, ever so briefly, in the second book of Kings, where he proclaims that even though the northern kingdom of Israel was marked by all manner of abuses, injustices, and idolatries. God was faithful and would yet restore the kingdom to its former greatness, something that does not, in fact, happen. As Corey Driver comments, outside of the short book that bears his name, Jonah's prophetic career is based entirely upon prophesying national greatness for an unrepentant country. As a prophet, Jonah was an unconditional Israelite nationalist. This perhaps accounts for the way in which the anonymous writer of the book of Jonah portrays the prophet, namely as one who cannot bear to even imagine God bringing a message to Nineveh. Nineveh the capital city of the enemy, Assyria, a nation that posed a dire threat to Israel. God can't possibly want to speak to them. God's calling me to speak to them. Ah, Jonah knows better. He boards a ship headed for Tarshish, which is in southern Spain, about as far a destination as Jonah could have selected. That's like being called to go to Ottawa and then boarding the first available flight to Thailand. That's how distant and exotic Tarshish would have been to somebody from the ancient Near East. Ah, but as the story goes on, the will of God will not be so easily thwarted. God brings a mighty storm upon the sea where this ship is sailing with Jonah as a passenger. The terrified sailors cry out to their various gods, throw what they can into the sea to lighten the load, battle fiercely against the storm. And where is Jonah? Sound asleep in the hold of the ship. The captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will spare us a thought so that we will not perish. Well, they keep fighting. They're close to giving up. They they can't get the ship to steady itself. And so the sailors cast lots to determine who is the cause of this mess they're in. And the lot falls upon Jonah, who confesses that he is an Israelite, that he's fleeing from the call of God, something which strikes terror into their hearts, Jonah tells them, throw me into the sea, just throw me into the sea, in order that the storm may stop. But those Gentile sailors just buckle down and try yet again to row the boat to shore. That's a moment when the non-Israelite outsiders are shown in a very positive light indeed. Well, they eventually do have to capitulate, and they toss this sorry prophet overboard. The sea is immediately calm. The text says, Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It is a clear turning toward God by these Gentile sailors, and that the reader is meant to notice. This is when the whale, or the big fish, as it says in Hebrew, appears to swallow up Jonah who then spends three days in its belly. That's the one point in the whole story where the reader is to feel some compassion for the guy. The whole of the second chapter is taken up by Jonah's prayer. It is a psalm-like piece of poetry in which Jonah laments his sorry state, affirms the greatness of God, vows his repentance, And ends by proclaiming, Deliverance belongs to the Lord. At that point, the fish spits him up on the land. The Hebrew evidently is not spit. The whale vomits him up on the land. Earthy image, isn't it? And once again, the call is placed upon him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. That's where tonight's reading kicked in. As Jonah makes his way into the city and pronounces his message of God's judgment on Nineveh, for a guy who has just been in the belly of a fish, praying his great prayer of repentance, he doesn't seem much transformed from his old Israelite nationalist attitude. For as soon as he realizes that his message has been preached, that the king of Nineveh has heard it and is responding to it, he begins to sulk. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil ways, God's mind was changed about the calamity that he had said would be brought upon them. And God did not do it. That puts Jonah right off the edge. And he goes into some real drama, saying to God that God's graciousness is just too much, too much for any self-respecting prophet to stomach. Now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Oh, Jonah, please. But his drama only deepens. As Jonah trudges up a hill overlooking the city, sits down to watch, apparently still vaguely hopeful that God will yet bring some wrath down upon the Ninevites. It's at this point that God causes a bush, it's a castor bean plant in the Hebrew, causes a castor bean plant to grow up behind Jonah, providing him some shade from the sun. And the text comments... So Jonah was very happy about the bush, which is the only time in the whole book he's said to be happy about anything. In short order, God sends a worm to kill the bush. And Jonah is now so miserable that he again goes all dramatic, saying, It is better for me to die than to live. Come on, Jonah, God says. You're that upset about this bush. Yes, yes, angry enough to die. Pure nonsensical drama, Jonah. You're that worked up about a bush. Should I then not be concerned about the hundred and twenty thousand people who live in the city, who do not know their right hand from their left? And then this lovely little addition to that sentence, which is actually the last line in the whole story. And also many animals. Should I not be concerned about all those people and their animals? Well, what with its compassionate sailors, giant fish, a repentant king of Nineveh, and Jonah swooning about in his dramatic misery, I believe the story was written to be told and retold with a smile. It is a comic story, but also one that makes a striking point. This is how Cory Driver puts it. The message for Israelites and Judahites who may have read this text was clear. Jonah was chosen for this adventure specifically to repudiate his prior prophetic career as an Israelite nationalist. Relying on God to preserve national greatness, despite national patterns of sinfulness and abuse, is so utterly stupid that even the Ninevites know not to try it. Instead, the Ninevites repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God was merciful to them. Well... You know who would have grown up hearing this story about the grim, bitter Israelite prophet and the Gentiles who respond? Jesus. In fact, I can imagine that he might have had a deep affection for this story, given his own gifts as a teller of stories. I can see him sitting around a fire with the disciples in the evening, on the very day that he'd answered a lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, by telling the story of the good Samaritan. As the fire crackles, I I can see him saying, let me tell you another story. One of the great old ones you've heard all your lives and one that holds some of the same message as the story I told that lawyer this afternoon. Now The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, go to Nineveh. Because in its own funny way, the story of Jonah is getting at the same thing as the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you think for one minute, That you know mercy, forgiveness, grace, and neighborliness better than does God. It's story time. Listen, learn, and laugh at the wild freeness of God's great mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.